Today, we are going to talk about numbers, and there's no bigger number to talk about in comics right now than $3.3 million for the first time the black Spider-Man suit adorns Peter Parker. It is a big moment, and it got $3.3 million in last week's Heritage Auction. This is a sale that broke the internet. People don't know what to say about this. People are rejoicing. People are mourning it. It's it's all over the place, but that is just one of the numbers that we are going to talk about today. Batman, the sales numbers throughout the 60s all the way through the 80s. You're going to see when, when, when we talk about Batman had a period of struggling. I'm going to read it to you, and these numbers come straight from DC's books, straight from their books. So much to talk to today on a, on a show focused on the numbers, rankings, sales, and $3.3 million. Hey everybody, you are listening to another edition of Rob's Observations. I am Rob Liefeld, your host, and man, do we have a lot to get to, a lot to talk about on today's show. We're going to get right into it because this is kind of a de facto sequel to uh, an episode I did a few uh, uh, weeks back called The Numbers. And in that episode, we discussed the numbers and the rankings and the sales of comic books across a decade from like 1978 to 1982 to 85. I think we ended up in, uh, uh, I think 86 with our last snapshot of where all the sales, uh, sales were at. It actually may have been a little earlier, like 1975, but, but we covered, uh, in depth at that point in time, I took you through the reported sales and the rankings of each of the comics, uh, and how they jumped and how they changed. And today, we're going to look at uh, some numbers that aren't just comic book rankings. We're going to uh, jump right in with the news of the day, the news that won't go away in the, in the pop culture world, which is, is 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 not a box office reporting. It's not a viewers reporting how many people saw Boba Fett on Disney Plus or how many people watched Cobra Kai uh, or The Witcher, stuff that we're deluged with all the time. This was news that broke last week based on an auction. Uh, some of you might have heard about it, but a page from Secret Wars, which was a huge crossover crossover event that broke through uh, into the highest sales stratosphere that Marvel had ever experienced in the direct market age, in the age of comic book stores and selling comic books without returnables. Uh, which is, again, as, as we've covered so often, how it was at the liquor stores, the dime stores, the 7-Elevens, tear off those covers, send them back in for credit towards the next uh, shipment of books. No, this is the age of comic book stores where what you bought, you kept. And Marvel and DC or whatever publisher, they kept all the money that you ordered. If you ordered a million copies, uh, unless they were damaged, you know, and you could prove it, you you Marvel kept that money, you could not... Uh, return those products. Comic stores don't work in returnability. The publishers, you know, that was the big growth market for them was when they got a, uh, and they helped grow it uh, with books like Moon Knight, which we're going to get to 
very soon, not this episode, but but soon enough because that is looming as well. But but they even created titles to drive people just to comic stores uh, so, that, so that you couldn't get a certain particular title at the 7-Eleven or the Liquor Mart. You, you looked in your phone book like I did. That's where I discovered comic stores. And uh, Secret Wars was the biggest. We've done an entire podcast on it. It's probably had two dedicated podcasts. Uh, one when we talked when I, uh, I talked about the editor and in chiefs the finest it's I think it's called Marvel Management is that episode and then there's one about the crossovers and Secret Wars is in the description and I uh, it, it goes in great depth in how and why that particular uh, uh, crossover came about it, it it was actually a toy tie-in event that went on to become Marvel's biggest selling title they immediately spun it off they did it again they made a sequel. Uh, the next year, it was tremendously successful. But in during Secret Wars, during that adventure, when the heroes were off planet uh, battling the villains in this giant scheme by this cosmic deity called the Beyonder, that was the framework of this giant twelve issue event. Well, part of it was that Mattel wanted another toy to sell of Spider Man. They wanted a variant of Spider Man. Well, Marvel had a black costume Spider Man waiting in the wings, which has its own very complicated history. Um, and, and not only is it all of the different creators, and I did a, <laughs> I did an entire podcast on all of the authorship and the assignments that uh, that follow Venom and the black costume and the symbiote, okay? Venom, who is now a box office uh, smash in two Tom Hardy sequels and uh, two, two Tom Hardy movies, the sequel coming out this, this past October and doing bonkers business. I mean, uh, again, the Sony Spider-Verse is on fire. I think part of that figures into this giant sale that happened this last week. This is my, this is my, that this will be the opinion portion that I give you. But the data portion of this is the page that the symbiote, the black goo that Spider-Man came in contact with on this alien planet that then crawled onto him and played with him and toyed with him until completely covering him head to toe and transferring his costume to the black costume with just the white spider on the chest. It was very striking. Uh, trust me, uh, in 1984, 1985, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 15, I'm 16, and I am digging that stuff. That 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 black costume was a jolt. It was actually one of the cooler uh, redesigns that Marvel has ever ever done. Period, and it caught the attention of so many um, uh, uh, enthusiasts, collectors, readers. We loved it. It was across all of the different Spider-Man titles, of which at the time he had three. So this 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 uh, costume really hit hard. Web of Spider-Man. It actually appeared in the final issues of Marvel Team-Up, which was always uh, a starring vehicle for Spider-Man and whatever Marvel character would appear with him that week. Then there was Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, the first ever spinoff of the Amazing Spider-Man franchise, which the Amazing Spider-Man was the, you know, go-to book. And then after they wound down on Marvel Team-Up, they spin it off into Web of Spider-Man, giving Spider-Man three monthly new monthly stories in three new uh th- three existing titles and sometimes they connected sometimes they didn't but three weeks out of every month you were getting a spider-man book so the black costume with the white spider on the chest and the white eyes became a staple for years across all of those books well this page from secret wars where 
the moment occurs and there's a three-quarter page splash. Some of you may have seen it because uh, after the sale, the very next day, I'm an early riser. I am a Good Morning America guy, but I sometimes flip over to, you know, the Today Show or CBS. Turns out that day, it didn't matter what news you were watching. Everybody had this sale, this auction where Spider-Man, this page, sold for $3.3 million, okay? I think it was $3,346,000, $3.3,000,000 and some change. And it's huge. It's a great page. It's a big moment. Fans from my generation uh, recall it as the big page turn to where, boom, this is where the the Spider-Man black costume happens, where the symbiote takes hold. Now, the symbiote hadn't become evil yet. It hadn't manipulated Peter's life into misery, eventually jumping off of him later to slink onto Eddie Brock and become Venom. Again, you get an entire chain of authorship in this thing that is just nuts. Um, Down to the fact that that tongue that you see, that they love to CG, you know, uh, put the computer graphics of that tongue coming out of Tom Hardy and licking stuff, that wasn't in even in the earliest incarnations of Venom. Eric Larson, who followed Todd McFarlane on The Amazing Spider-Man, introduced the tongue. There was there's there's fangs in Todd's, but the tongue has become its own life. I know when I draw Venom, when anyone else now draws Venom. So this thing, <laughs> we love the tongue. And this thing, uh, just this Venom black costume symbiote, it has so many daddies. But we've covered that in other uh, dedicated forums. And this last October, you should go listen to those because because I talked about how everybody exploded. It's mine. It's mine. Uh, the, the writer of the original Venom story and others, including the artists, the creators, the people who contributed to the Secret War story. But here's the deal. The black costume jumping on Spider-Man in that Secret Wars was not the first appearance of that black costume because it had already appeared months prior on different covers and on different publications. There was a Marvel team-up that came out, I think, the same week as The Amazing Spider-Man, which debuted it because in the Marvel Universe, when these characters were gone, they were gone for, in some instances, a month or two, but they had to get back. You can't have Spider-Man be gone off-planet for the entirety of the year that Secret Wars was taking place. So they were gone, they were back. And Secret Wars told that, you know, that, that... story of what happened to them. It's kind of like a lost before lost, like Secret Wars. We had already seen that the Fantastic Four come back without Ben Grimm, without the thing. He stayed behind. That's how She-Hulk became a dedicated member of the Fantastic Four, which is something that John Byrne desperately wanted and was able to work with Jim Shooter, the guy who helmed the entire Secret Wars. He was not only the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics at the time, and the guy that uh, had to integrate the entire uh, relationship with Mattel and creating this these toys, getting them ready for market, um, and, and, and then and then overseeing this 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 crossover event that would launch the toy line. He wrote it, and he wrote it for all sorts of reasons. Jim's a great writer, best writer the Avengers ever had. I've covered that ad nauseum. I also think Jim is the best editor in chief Marvel ever had, and you could never move me from that position. He has too many accomplishments. This is one of them. Secret Wars is high on the list. How he pulled this off, how he uh, made this into Marvel's biggest selling title ever. I mean, people, kids, myself, I was a kid, a uh, teenage kid. I loved it. I, I grabbed each and every issue, never missed a beat. And the black Spider-Man costume is kind of the big signature 
uh, kind of event of that entire crossover. So this page from Secret Wars is not the first appearance per se of the costume, but it is the moment comic fans saw how the black costume came to be. In, in, in the real time of the Secret Wars story, he encounters the goop, the goop jumps on him, boom, now he has the costume, he comments on it, and we're off to the races. Again, not the first appearance that was in an Amazing Spider-Man issue. And there was a Marvel team-up that came out within a few days of that, or at the same time, you, <laughs> you talk to everyone, everyone's got an opinion, but they shipped prior to this, but this is the story moment. This is the moment where, boom, they come together. It's like, it's almost like, but not quite, Wolverine appears for the first time in, in two Hulk issues, 180-181. But then Giant Size X-Men number one is when he joins the X-Men. So that in and of itself is an event. That's special, okay? But the first appearance of Wolverine is in those Hulk issues. But as far as collectors and moments, this is a big one. Well, in my mind, I would think the cover to Secret Wars, which kind of has this moment on the page, this, this page you've... You've seen whether you saw it on CNN, Good Morning America, whether you saw it on uh, whether you saw it on USA Today. Everybody covered this thing. Um, the, uh, the 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 uh, the 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 information traveled. Um, the 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 news was everywhere. The image was everywhere, and, and and so that image, that particular image, that shot is kind of. What is on the cover of that same issue? I imagine that now will have a market value of uh, a, like a really high ceiling. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. The deal is um, um, that, that 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 there while there is several uh, among the collecting communities. Because how do I know? You know, um, uh, you know. The, the, the bottom line of how all this is determined is in the trenches of the comic book market, in the trenches of the, uh, the, the, the comic book, you know, collector market who has, who has, you know, first appearances slapped on that amazing Spider-Man and, and they don't really have the first appearance. They have the moment. This is the moment where he meets it, but the first appearance again shipped a month before, two months before. That's where the black spider costume that we knew about it. That's where we, you know, were made aware. But then the story integration. I mean, Secret Wars. This happens late in the in in the Secret Wars story, towards the latter third of the saga. Bottom line, this page. I'm going to tell you in real time how those of us who follow this auction how it came to be, because these are some big numbers: three point three million dollars for a three quarter splash page. When you get an all you know, when you open your comic book and there's a full page depicting something that is called, we've done this also in a, uh, you know, comic book lingo, uh, how to make comic books podcast. I did in my first season splash pages, splash pages are the big giant, you know, opening of the book. And sometimes when you get, you know, two, uh, then you follow page one to page two and three, and it's a double page splash. It's a double page splash, a double giant poster image. Jack Kirby, uh, who I've mentioned here, the godfather of comics, I mean, did it all the time. Splash, double page splash. Uh, John Byrne, the X-Men, my favorite run for quite some time. Splash, double page splash. Ended on a splash. Splashes are big. Are a big deal. My peer group and I at Image, we really incorporated this idea of the of, of this page that, that came out in 1985 
the the the, the, the style of this 3.3 million black Spider-Man costume page of the three-quarter splash. So you get a couple panels below or on the side, but the 75% of the page is a giant action image, you know, a big figure shot. And that's what this is. Well, I'm going to tell you how this came down in real time because, of, of course, I am, as, I, as, as, as long-time listeners of the show know, I am an original art connoisseur. Not only do I make original art, I create the original art. And uh, again, I've, I've, in my career, I've probably cr- uh, uh, made 4,500 pages of art, 4,500 pages. There are guys who've been around as long as I have who will get you to 25 or 3,000. And there are guys who've been around as long as I have who'll get you to 8,500 to 10,000, okay? A guy like Eric Larson, who I've interviewed on this show, uh, extremely prolific. For for quite some time, did did two books a month. Um, most of my peer group did not do that. Uh, uh, Todd McFarland did it briefly, but myself, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, never did two books a month. Eric did, he did, and he has done his book nonstop for 30 years. You're going to get up into the upper echelon, the 10, the 12,000 pages at that point, but 4,500 pages doesn't sound like a lot, but then if you go, well, what 4,500 pages times four panels a page, then you see the numbers start going up. The numbers start, the amount of images and the amount of drawings you've, you've, you've depicted. Well, given that I've created 4,500 pages, I have engaged in selling some of those pages. I have been selling them since the beginning of my career. When I broke in, it was, you know, at conventions, meeting other artists who would bring these originals. I have talked on the podcast how I first encountered George Perez and he was selling his art and he was very helpful in helping me pick out an affordable page that I would still appreciate and love so much. And and so holding the, generally they're all 11 by 17 pages, just as this Spider-Man page that sold for $3.3 million. I mean, we got to put some emphasis there. It's, it's, it's a giant leap. It's an, it's a massive, gigantic, enormous leap by, by any shake of the stick. Okay. So, so as a collector of art, I, I sell art and I collect art. I have really narrowed my focus in recent years and I get a lot of X-Men themed art or John Byrne themed art. And even there, I only want from certain years from him, there's about a six year period where my favorite artist, John Byrne produced the work that I love the most. And I want to bid on, and I have won my share of auctions at heritage, at comic link, at comic connect, and, uh, have established relationships with all of those auction houses. Um, and, 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 and so for the last five, six years for the last, you know, 12 years, I've been watching the auctions, but for the last five, six, six years, I got back into it. The fever, you know, bit me and there's some really good stuff that you can only get at these auction houses. And the auction house prices are, in fact, driving everything at this time. It, it is like no other time in the history of original art. And, and, and the people who follow this are just blown away. Part of the reason I'm talking to this, talking to you about this, is not just that it was on all the morning shows and that it was on USA Today and CNN and and, and Forbes magazine and, and just... It's all over social media. People cannot stop talking about it. Every day in some of the original art threads that I'm in, people continue to opine about this. And, and, and a lot of it is negative. Like, I can't believe that I'll never be able to afford original art based on these prices. Well, that's not necessarily true. But 
for this snapshot in time, given now that you understand that that Spider-Man page is the moment in Marvel history that Peter Parker, in his red and blue webbed costume, met the symbiote and the black costume was born. It's the moment. It's a big moment. Okay? In the history of... Uh, in the in the history of uh, of uh, of of the Marvel comic kind of pantheon of characters and character uh, introductions, I'm going to tell you right now, there isn't a, there isn't a, a lot of introductions that are more special to my generation and maybe the generation period than the introduction of uh, of Wolverine. And Wolverine uh, appeared for the first time, as I've told you, in Hulk uh, 181 and at 180. And it was back in 2014 that that first appearance sold. That the last page of Hulk 180, it sold. And it's recorded on auction at Heritage Auction. That page, that that first appearance of Wolverine. And, and let me tell you something. It's not quite 75% of the page, but it's it's 50% of the page. The last shot of Wolverine on the last page of Hulk 180. Hulk and One to Go, who's kind of the abominable snowman in the in the Canadian forest, are trading blows, and then they look and see as this voice calls out to them, and it's a it takes 50% of the page. It's a nice juicy big panel figure shot of the character that we will all come to know and love named Wolverine. And at the end, it says, be here next time. The Wolverine strikes, but once. And he even says, if you really want to tangle with someone, why not try your luck against the Wolverine? Okay. And right there, it says, well, now you know what Weapon X is, O Faithful One, because they had appeared, they had talked about it prior to him appearing right here. This first appearance of Wolverine sold at Heritage Auctions for the juicy price of uh, $657,250. $657,250. This was the shot heard around the world. Whoa! Interior page, just like Spider-Man. Interior page, not a cover. Covers are seen as more valuable. They are seen, again, why? Because they're the cover. Uh, I know the gentleman who has the cover to the first appearance of Deadpool. Uh, that uh, that page, which I sold in 2000 to a gentleman for $15,000 at the time, the most anyone had ever paid me for my original art. I had held onto it for most of the decade and then got an offer I couldn't refuse. And, and, and at that time, and I've talked about it quite a bit, I believed in 2000, the comics industry, which was actually at the lowest point, the lowest sales, no book was selling 100,000 copies. They had all gone to below six figures in circulation. Uh, I thought, wow, things are things are things are done, and so I'll start letting some of these pages go. I got an offer. I actually listed New Mutants '98 on uh, on eBay because that was new and shiny in 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 1999, 2000, and I immediately got an offer offline. I'd like to buy these from you for fifteen thousand dollars. Cut me a cash I, if you take it off right now. Well, like I said, that was the most I had ever been offered to that point. And for a reference point, I had a page of Dark Knight 
Frank Miller's seminal work that I rave about all the time on the show and how it transformed Batman. And trust me, Batman numbers we're getting to. That's another part of the show today. Spider-Man sale and back to the Batman numbers with, with, with more data, more actual data. Spider-Man, uh, uh, Spider-Man Secret Wars page, $3.3 million. I just had to, I just had to say it one more time. I owned a page from Dark Knight that was great. It had the female Robin, Carrie Kelly, and Batman, and it was a juicy page. It was nice. The pages were oversized. Uh, I had held off selling to a very aggressive uh, dealer. I bought the page as part of an allotment of pages. So it was with six other pages, uh, some Travis Charest art, uh, some sketches, and then this Dark Knight page. And my grand total for buying all of that was $500 in 1996, 1995, 1996, right around there. It was, it was either 95 or 96, uh, fall 95 or January, February 96. So I'd held on to it. And finally in, uh, 2000, right before I had sold this new mutants page, this covered a new mutants 98 guy offered me $5,000, uh, for the interior page to dark Knight. I hadn't heard of any interior page in modern times going for $5,000. Case in point, some of you guys know I owned all of the unpublished at the time Justice League Avengers. George had done 21 pages of the Justice League Avengers. It was unpublished. It was a part of kind of myth and lore, and I had those pages. Some of them were partially inked. Most of them were in pencil. I bought them from George Perez in 1993. I bought all 21 for a thousand a page, a thousand a page for an unpublished consecutive 21 pages that depicted Thor, Iron Man, you know, uh, uh, Hawkeye, Captain America, you know, facing off with Batman, Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman. Uh, eventually again, in, in, in 10 years after I bought them, they decided they would publish an actual Justice League Avengers. And it crushed me because I thought I had something special. Now there's going to be 200 of these pages. Okay? Now there's going to be 200 of these pages. I bought the last thing that I bought at Heritage, at a Heritage auction, in uh, the, the their, their fall auction, I bought a Justice League Avengers page from the actual printed one because it just seemed like too, too good of an opportunity to pass up. I paid under $2,000 in auction for this. It was like people slept on this. It's got the Flash and Quicksilver. It's got Than- Thanos' Infinity Gauntlet. It's, it's got Dark Side. It's got Hawkeye. I thought, this is great. And, uh, and, and, and so I snagged it. So again, an interior page from the eventual Justice League Adventures. I bought for $1,800, okay? But I, uh, I sold. I, I, I bought each of George's pages in 1993 for 1000 a pop. So someone is offering me $5,000 for this Dark Knight page. I sold it. Then somebody offers me $15,000 for my New Mutants 98 cover. I sold it. Never looked back. And you know what? I don't. I I, I actually made a post about this because this dovetails into some of what everyone's going on. What always follows when these big sales occur now is, well, I certainly hope the existing artist gets a piece of this. To which I say, I don't understand that. Um, I am going to, in my lifetime, probably watch that New Mutants 98 page sell for at bare minimum a million dollars. I say that because I know the guy who owns it has told me and he told a website, Bleeding Cool, 
He went, he publicly mentioned last year that he has turned down seven figures for that cover. This is prior to the Spider-Man page selling for $3.3 million. Do I believe he has a million dollars in that cover? I, he will make a million dollars. Yes. Will I be thrilled? Yes. I'll be so excited. Do I expect any percentage of it? Why? No. This is what I said on this art group. When I sell my house, the next guy doesn't, when he sells it, especially with how real estate's gone up, he doesn't give me a percentage of those sales. When I sell my house, the sale is done. The sale is closed. Ditto a car. Ditto, you know, whatever. You know, some places tell you no returns. You go buy, you know, earbuds in, in or electronics in your airport, you, you know, gift shop. They tell you, we do not accept returns. Once you open this, even if you come back with the receipt, this is yours. They are not in that business. You're not going to shake them down when you get back from your New York flight and go, hey man, these were these were glitchy. And last year, with all the travels that we were doing, especially when the uh, when the when the you know isolation and uh, was lifted and you could travel, my family and I we did a lot of traveling in the last year, and earbuds were lost and sold. And they tell you, oh, well, once you buy these, not not open it. Once you purchase this, this is final. There is no return. So I mean, we we deal in this world. But suddenly, now we're supposed to be giving an artist a portion of the of this. Now, I was introduced, I've heard about it, but there's this idea, and I don't support it. And I it it I don't I'm not against it. If someone wants to give people money, well, that's all well and good. That that, that that's fine. Um, but the but the bottom line is there is this uh no less than a gentleman named uh named named Paul Levitz, uh, who used to run DC Comics, uh, came into this art group and laid out this notion. And it was then pounced upon. And, and this is something that a legend, and you guys know I absolutely believe that Neil Adams is one of the absolute legends of all space and time. Paul Levitz uh, weighs in and uh, and lays out after I make a post, and I'll just read this post to you. I, in my original art group, that I, I I dig these guys, a really great bunch of collectors. Everybody's always sharing what they purchase. We do best of at the end of the year. Uh, I said, I'm going to comment on this as a professional artist and creator of 35 years because I have I read about this often. As a matter of fact, it's all over the place today as a result of this big auction. This is three days ago I posted this. I sure hope the artist is getting a cut of this sale. And I say, this is all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, dot, dot, dot. I said, look, if a page that I sold 30 years ago for $150, for $350, for $2,000, for $20,000, ends up selling in our modern age for a huge multiplier, I do not feel that I'm owed a penny for it. I sold it for what I valued it at, for what I valued it at during whatever time I sold it and was satisfied at that time. Whatever it sells for now is due to the seller. Why would I participate in this? The guy who sells the house I sold him doesn't give me a portion of the profit when he eventually resells it. I see so many lamenting whether or not the artists get a cut. Why would they? I understand there are artists that have this position of a traveling percentage and maybe those are in their sales agreements, specifically in their sales agreements, but it's not a position that I share. If something if something of mine sells for a big haul, I am happy for the seller and the legacy of that art. That's it. I got that off my big 
supersized Captain America chest. Okay, that's my post. That is word for word the post that I let that I left. Well, as I said, no less than the man who was the publisher of DC Comics for many, many over a decade, he weighs in, and uh, most people felt they were relieved to hear someone in the business say that. Um, and 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 many people disagree with it, but then there there's a fair amount that that are like, well, I'm sorry, I I think the artist, the original artist, should get a cut because. Things are so difficult. Joe Jusco, a giant painter that has been painting covers to comics since I was a teenager, weighs in and echoes my exact sentiment. He joins and says, look, uh, whatever my work sells for after the fact never bothers me. Um, he claims it. Joe says it actually helps my current market. I mean, I just think, you know, I'm excited f- by it. Like, wow, a piece of my art sold for a lot of money. That's great. So here's what Paul Levitt says. He weighs in, former DC Comics publisher. Rob is perfectly right legally and perhaps morally, but the French have a lovely concept called droit à soivir. I butchered that. I know I butchered it. Doesn't care. I don't care. That That's how it reads to me. I don't have anybody French here to guide me. My wife is asleep. When a piece of art is resold at an appreciated part, price the original artist is then entitled to a modest 10 percent of the appreciation the theory is that it supports the arts in general as well as the artist and i think it and i think is only in effect while the artist is alive on the other hand it's also considered to be a significant reason why there's no french auction house equal to the american or the british ones then there's a lot of reaction to this then um uh Another person says, not just the French, all European countries regarding the work of European artists uh, through sales realized in Europe through auction houses, the art galleries, 6% goes back to the artist or the artist's estate. And this is by a man named Frederick who has joined the discussion. Um, Then down here, Dan Juergens, powerhouse artist of, uh, since I was a kid, uh, Warlord, Booster Gold, Legion, and then became a dynamo and brought you the death of Superman and extended run on Superman that really was fantastic before they ever got around to killing him. But Dan has long been, I mean, one of the most storied careers. Dan Jurgens uh, weighs in and, and offers his uh, two cents. And I, I, I think he did not see, because sometimes when you read these posts, you know, you can lose track and not you know, follow through. I always have to go newest and then read down from newest post. But this is what I like about Facebook, uh, the, the, the the ongoing kind of really discussion, uh, the, the, the discussion that gets caught up. Dan Jurgen says, offering this up, and I'm not 100% sure how this mechanism kicks in, but in French, in France, they have droit de suite, whatever which are royalty that an artist continues to get on, a sub- on subsequent sales of his or her art. If the artist has died, the royalty goes to the estate. I'm sure there are people who know quite a bit more about this than I have just offered, but it's certainly a more equitable situation than what we have. He's just offering that up. I respect Dan. Just like I, Neil Adams, I know, subscribes to this. Mr. Neil Adams, I mentioned him a minute ago. I just want to finish that thought. Neil definitely is a proponent for this. I'm, I'm just not. That doesn't make me a good guy or a bad guy. I'm just not. I think when I sold it, I felt good about selling it. It was a lot of scratch to me at the time. It's um, it, I felt like you know it would only 
appreciate over time, but maybe, maybe not. And one person said, well, on the flip, when I buy something and it sells for less, do I come back to you? And I mean, again, these are, this is a really naughty issue. Again, this Frederick gentleman who's following this discussion all over this group weighs in. Hello, Mr. Jurgens. It's valid for all European countries. It's handled by the same companies that redistribute the money for the music airplayed on radio or TV. It's called Droit de Suite, which could loosely be translated as fees of transference. It's 6% for any piece sold over, I don't know the amount he's putting here, from art galleries and auction houses. They are obligated to pay these fees and must submit their list of sales every three months. It's a much it's a much more supportive system. I'm an art dealer and am, I am happy to pay those fees. Anyway, like I said, I stated what I stated because there was a lot of resentment and anger. Mike Zek drew this page that sold for uh, $3.3 million. I'm sorry that it took me 30 nine minutes, 35 minutes, 35 minutes to mention Mike's name, but Mike is the artist. He was the artist of Secret Wars. He, he's one of the reasons the, the, the comic book was so successful. His, his amazing covers, his amazing interiors. Mike had, um, already had a hugely successful run on Master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi. He had finished that out, the, 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 the last most significant part. Uh, he took over Master of Kung Fu kind of mid-run and was on it for years. He then did Captain America for an amazing run on Captain America and then did Secret Wars, later on did seminal works of Punisher and beyond and became one of the premier cover artists. He drew this page that sold for $3.3 million. Immediately people wanted to know, did he sell it? Came out, he didn't. He said, this is not my, I did not sell this page. And then see, there's a fervor on, let's find out who sold it. Well, let's not. How about we not, how about we let both the person who bought it and the person who sold it, let's make it their decision if they want to share that with us. Obviously, it, it it's all manner of, of uh, you know, um, um, Pandora's box if we know who sold it and if we know who bought it. Again, because maybe who bought it then gets deluged with, hey, I got this for you, I got this for you. And also then you know, uh, criminals know that he has this in- incredibly uh, expensive piece of art. And, and the guy who sold it obviously has, after whatever whatever the auction house takes, you know, his cut of his $3.3 million. And, and uh, you know, good for him. Exciting for the comic book industry. Exciting for Mike Zek. Like Joe Jusco, Mike Zek is now, as Joe Jusco, the amazing painter that I said weighed in and, 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 and echoed my own sentiments about I don't feel like I need to participate in the resale. Uh, and why would I? I just, it does, it's a foreign concept. It's, it's like one of those things I just can't really digest. I can't really process why that would be the case. Uh, you know, myself and, and Joe, we just, we, we just have a certain way that we are approaching this, but, uh, it would be great if, if, if Mike Zek, you know, got it, but I, uh, got, got something from it and, and maybe, maybe, maybe someone will gift him an exchange. I do know that there are some artists, some who I've already mentioned who have worked out with certain dealers who have hounded them said, if, if you buy this page that's going up, I'm going to hound you for a percentage. And, and one dealer told me a couple years back, he wanted to be on good terms with this artist. So he did give him a percentage of what he bought the page for. And it was in the multi hundreds of thousands. It wasn't as much as that Wolverine page, which um, some people go, oh, that Wolverine page looks like a steal. No, it doesn't. 657,000 is not a steal or whatever 600,000 increment it was. Um, $3.3 million is, is, is huge scratch. It's, not going to be immediately replicated. There's not going to suddenly, you know, uh, everything isn't going to be worth 
in that ballpark. Like I said, it was a big moment. And I also, this is my opinion of, of all this, Spider-Man has had quite a comeback over the last few years. Again, after the second Andrew Garfield movie, Marvel, you know, entered into a pack with Sony. And long story short, they implemented him into Civil War, Endgame, Infinity War. I've told you here, you can go to Box Office Mojo, you can see the numbers. He was so damaged by the last Garfield outing, and no no fault of Andrew Garfield. He was the reason to see those movies. But but the weird portrayal of Electro and 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 uh, and, and the Hobgoblin, just just comic fans were not were not feeling it. I arguably it, it, it was in the same space that that you know Days of Future Past X Men came out, and 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 Fox actually started getting their act together. That was one of their best, if not the best, X Men movie. And then Sony put out what. Is, is arguably one of the worst Spider-Man movies. And, and poor Andrew Garfield just deserved much better material and finally got it with, with No Way Home. But the first Tom Holland movie, which again had Robert Downey Jr. and Happy Hogan. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> John Favreau. Not, uh, I glitched because he was Happy Hogan in Daredevil. Had John Favreau had, had all of the Iron Man firepower, the Marvel Universe integration, Marvel Studios produced. It made... In 2017, on a PG-13 post-Civil War launch featuring Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., all the bells and whistles, Michael Keaton as Vulture, was 300 million, uh, three, was 30 million less than Deadpool did a year earlier with an R rating. Like in the three Deadpool ballpark, 365, 370, uh, 300, it was domestically, domestically in the United States. Like, uh, did $375 million. And Spider-Man, with all the bells and whistles, was like $335 million. Both enormous. But on what planet was R-rated Deadpool outperforming Spider-Man? This is only more to the point of that Spider-Man needed, you know, some work. He needed he needed to get kicked. And it, it took, you know, it took Homecoming, Far From Home, and now No Way Home, and Into the Spider-Verse, which was also very integral between all of this, plus the success of the Venom movies, you got the successful Venom movies, which combined are over a billion, and then you've got all of this business being generated by Spider-Man. This is the time to go all in on Spider-Man. Spider-Man has never been hotter. He is back on the top of the food chain. He is the most premier, bigger than Batman, I think maybe for the first time ever, in my opinion, because those Christopher Nolan Batman movies... The, the 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 Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises is that the name of the ba- uh, of the Bane movie? Both of those made a billion dollars. That's incredible. But I believe Spider Man now has been uh, has pardon the pun swung back up to the top upper echelon and is looking down on everybody else. So it makes sense to me that there was a fervor, and you need two people to get to that price. You need two, three, four. We have no idea who was fighting. We watched it live. I'm going to tell you how it happened. You know, I had my catalog. I'm watching the live session. Heritage, you put in your bids. Your final bids are registered. But people are really onto the system now. People know that the live bidding is where the action is. So if you thought you you could just make a bid and 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 be secure that you're the top bid, and then you know, uh, you know, go go go, you know, walk away from the computer and and be notified that you know that extra five thousand, ten thousand, whatever pad was safe. It's not. I've seen them absolutely go crazy uh when it was personally involving me a page of mine went from 20 some thousand uh in august to 94,000 
in the span of 75 seconds. 30 became 40, became 50, became 60, became 70, stalled around 72,000 for about 30, 40 seconds. Boom, 80, 84, 85, 86, 90, 92, 94 closed, okay? It's so exciting to watch. This particular auction entered into the live session at 220000 My buddies in the entertainment industry, we have a text chain. Hey, you guys watching this? What do you think this goes for? A couple of big pieces had already gone for the 300000 400000s earlier in the auction. And by earlier, I mean like 10 or 12 lots before. But the Spider-Man one was seen as like it going in, it had the highest bid. It already had a 220000 bid online before the online session ended you are then directed to attend the live portion and they give you a time and they tell you this is when your item will go live and if you get text updates they will even text you and so many of us get that because we want to watch i had no intention of entering this i knew it was way too rich for my blood and i had no desire to have it two two very important components desire and money if you want something are, are important into getting the outcome that we got so my buddies and I, I, I had the, I had the live screen, and the um, lovely lady at Heritage was was conducting the auction, and uh, we watched as it went from two hundred to you know five hundred thousand, half a million. Wow! Uh, my buddy had predicted it would go to six, six hundred thousand. We were like, wow, this page is going to go for six hundred thousand dollars. I stepped away. Uh, from my computer for about 45 seconds to come back and see that it was at 850,000. And then as the text started rolling in, holy shit, are you seeing this? Was one of the texts I got. Holy shit, that, that's one of the cleaner texts. Oh my gosh. It went for a million. Holy crap. An interior page. Spider-Man, black costume is, is going for a million dollars in the listing in the heritage catalog it said first black costume slash venom which again with all the fathers that venom has this makes sense this is what's going on this is where it starts you don't get to venom without the black suit the black suit has to get on spider-man to corrupt him to then be you know cast away from him to where it crawls away and then eventually re-emerges on someone else this is kind of like the beginning of venom and i didn't write that you know description heritage did that's how they marketed it that's how it's listed in the auction that's how it was listed online so because people have read that headline they got retweeted heritage themselves obviously having this record sale put it out there on social media it was being retweeted and then people are trying to educate me that's not actually the first appearance of venom look i don't care okay that i do not care i did not write it that's heritage that's their description so here's the deal suddenly we watch and a million becomes two million really fast this took about four and a half minutes and there were pauses, these guys spending this, you know, the, the, on the phone, online, they would pause and say, what does the caller say? And there was a guy and the caller had a number and, uh, you know, that number was buying a lot of stuff that day and everyone's casting out all these different theories. Now, have, have I met an investor group? I heard a myth a year ago. To me, it was a myth. And then I met a guy who said, no, I'm part of an investor group. We were buying up collectibles. We're buying up original art. We're doing it in a pool. Wow, maybe this was one of them. Maybe it was just a really, you know, that was my elbow. Maybe it was really, really, uh, you know, empowered and 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 motivated buyers. Somebody who was caught up in the Spider-Man hype. Um, obviously, you've heard these last several years. The rich have gotten richer, and and what they're doing is they're they're buying stuff. But in this same auction, 
This happened on a Thursday. Thursday is when it's called the premiere auction. It's when the best stuff goes up. Then later on Friday is a very a much more measured, uh, you know, gamut of pages that go up. And by Sunday, Sunday between comics and pages because they vacillate, they go back and forth. Uh, some day, one day, one session is art. The next is comics. The next day is art. The next day is comic. Today is where all the little in the in the catalog, all the little postage stamp pieces of art go. And there's some great stuff in there. And there was all sorts of stuff that was going for 1800, 2000, 3000. There's great art out there by great artists. You know, Mike Zek is going to have a ton of pages. Very few of them are going to go for even six figures. Now, maybe some of his more accomplished covers because he's done some really classic covers. Maybe those are going to go for, for more. Again, covers are seen as the most prestigious thing that you can own. They cost more. I've bought covers. I sell covers. My covers are the most expensive part of any job that I put out there. Uh, my Deadpool covers, my X-Force covers, my Youngblood covers, that is the most expensive stuff that you're going to see either sold by me or resold by others. Uh, people want the covers. Again, what you're getting is one once-in-a-lifetime piece of artwork. That Spider-Man, the symbiote jumping on it, that is a one-of-a-kind. So whoever got it, hats off to them. It was really rocked the comic book world. Again, the complainers. Oh, this means I can never get into the art. That's not true. There's tons of art. There's tons of affordable art. There are six or seven prominent art dealers. They used to all be situated next to each other at San Diego Comic-Con when the comic convention gets back into full swing. You'll see them all there again. They have $100 pages, thousands of dollar pages. And then just like your comic retailer has wall books, they have wall art. The stuff that you go and you go, that's $65,000, that's $200,000. I imagine all of the stuff behind the wall. The stuff that I decided not to pull the trigger on at $75,000 because it was too rich for my blood is now in the $300,000 range. The prices have definitely gone up. A cover that I wanted to buy that was $30,000 a year ago, I checked in and it was sixty. I may or may not have actually pulled the trigger on it, but the bottom line is it's it went up. And why wouldn't it? These huge high-end art dealers are watching these auctions and the auctions are setting the prices. But $3.3 million is absolutely an outlier. And how many big moment pages like that exist? Very few. Very few. The first appearance of Wolverine, okay? The first appearance of Deadpool. The first appearance of the black costume. You know, the first appearance of Venom proper. Those are moments. Those are big historical moments that now entire empires are built on the back of, okay? That black Spider-Man costume, you've seen it crawl onto Tobey Maguire, okay? They're they're hoping that that, that, that that happens with either Tom Holland or some I've read, you know, the hopes and dreams of fans that... That they're in 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 Venom three that it, it could be actually Andrew Garfield Spider Man. I mean, the possibilities are endless. But Venom, Deadpool, uh, the Black Costume, the the Wolverine. These are giant, seminal, huge, historic moments that have had cartoon representation, that have had movie representation. So so that is really what I think is driving the interest in that page. But what do I know? I'm just giving you what happened, how it happened how exciting it was. Some of the feedback 
I mean, there's entire threads to how is Mike Zek doing? I know Mike Zek. He's a tough cowboy. He's got his Southern drawl. He's a tough guy. He's happy it went for that. He came out and said, folks, that wasn't me. I didn't sell it. That's not my sale. He immediately wanted to answer, I think, because he was being deluged with questions. The guy's a class act. I hope I hope he has art that he hung on to that he can now release that can get into some sort of stratosphere like that. We've all sat on lots of pages. Some of us have. Some of us are sitting on, uh, and not me, but, but when I, I'm referring to some artists that I grew up loving who I have heard kept all their art from that period. You know, that means art from the 70s and the 80s that we have been seeing go for six figures. They have hundreds of those pages that they've never released. One guy says he's never going to sell them. He wants them to go to, you know, a museum, an educational center. Great, good for him. Um, That's his choice. I've had art, you know, connoisseurs go, that guy, I'm so mad at him that he won't sell me. Well, there you go. It's in that sentence. You're so mad at him that you aren't getting what you wanted. Weird. But, you know, a story for another day. So that is the numbers in regards to comic book artwork. I'm going to segue moving out of this incredible art uh, sale, which we covered the price. We covered the action in real time, how it went down in Heritage. And, and when it finally passed $3 million, I mean, we were all jaws on the floor. But then, boom, it, it, it pushes past 3, gets to, you know, 3.3, and we're done. But what an incredible ride. Again, the next day, all over all over uh, the news media. I mean, Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, USA Today, People Magazine, Forbes, everywhere. It was literally everywhere. It's exciting. It's exciting to see that spotlight on comic books. I'm a comic guy. This thrills me. I'm still that kid pulling off the spinner rack in 1974, 1975, what seemed like the wild, wild west, the hinterlands of time, okay? But, but, but man, am I thrilled to see the kind of attention this stuff is getting. So the numbers, I have said on this show many times that the Dark Knight came at a time when, uh, when, when Batman was not selling well. He was simply not doing well. And I think people just wrinkle their noses up and they go, what do you mean? He's always been a top seller. That is absolutely not true. And today we are going to show you the 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 the, the truth behind uh, this statement that I make to you. I've covered it, and I, I think it was on a Jimmy J uh, guest issue where we talked about Dark Knight. And the thing is that uh, that that I, I've got it right here. We mentioned that Stephen King himself in 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 uh, in uh, I think it's Batman. Uh, Batman 400 wrote a long diatribe, okay, um, about the fact that Frank Miller saved, that Frank Miller absolutely saved Batman. Now, this is Stephen King, the guy who, who, who brought you Carrie, who brought you It, who brought you Salem's Lot, okay? I mean, this is the, the guy who brought you The Stand, the best-selling kind of maybe either sci-fi or horror novel, novelist of all time, genre novelist. He's amazing. So he writes in this Batman 400 how he really wasn't into uh, Superman. And then he segues to this portion that I've, you know, marked together. It's on the second page. He wrote a two-page memoriam of Batman for Batman 400. So 
from the cancellation of the unpleasantly campy Batman TV show until 1982 or so, Batman lived in a shadow world, not just a character, but as a published fictional character. There was a time I don't mind telling you when I remember scanning the newsstands carefully and with some anxiety around the middle of each month, certain that the caped crusader would be gone. This is, again, word for word Stephen King. A character who had simply slipped away into that quiet hall of obscurity were such other great creations as John Jones, Manhunter from Mars, Plastic Man, the Blackhawks, Captain Marvel, and Turok, the Son of Stone, had gone before. Seems I was wrong to worry. Seems like you can't keep a good bat down. During the last four years or so, one of the two one of two things have been happening. Either new fans have been interesting themselves in Batman's doings, or some of the old ones have been quietly stealing their way back. Either way, the blast of publicity and the triumphant sales of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, probably the finest piece of comic art ever published in a popular edition, seem to have a, seems to have assured Batman's continued success. For me, that is both a great relief and a great pleasure. I'd like to congratulate the Cape Crusader on his long and valiant history. Thank him for the hours of pleasure he has given me and with many more years of heroic crime busting to go. So again, you sit there and you go, here's Stephen King talking about his, you know, childhood and where he thought like, wow, Batman was waning. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you absolutely in that period, in 1982, he was waning. He had four, five different titles, Batman. Detective Comics, Brave and the Bold was his version of Marvel Team-Up. It predates Marvel Team-Up, but Batman teamed up with a Western character, a sci-fi character, a, you know, DC superhero each and every month. Batman and Scalp Hunter, which was an Indian character. Batman and the Metalman. Batman and Firestorm. Batman and Superman. Okay, so you had Brave and the Bold, Detective Comics, Batman Comics, World's Finest. What's World's Finest? World's Finest was a dedicated book where Superman and Batman teamed up every month. It was always Superman and Batman. Then there was Batman Family, which was around for years, which was a like 60, 80 page comic, depending on the month. Sometimes a dollar, sometimes more, buck 25. With Batman, Batgirl, Batmite, Manbite, Manbat, Robin, okay? They, it featured the whole entire, as it said, Batman family. At 1.5 titles, by 1983-84, he'd gone down to two. World's Finest canceled. Brave and the Bold canceled. It was Batman, it was Detective. Batman family canceled. It was replaced by a surge in superhero team books. Am I making this up? No. You got to understand. Remember, right here at the hour mark of this show, I'm going to share to you, why do I do this show? It was born of kind of a loneliness in a pandemic to talk about comics and maybe reach a larger audience. That was always the purpose. What I've come to realize is that you guys appreciate the vast knowledge I have accumulated reading comic books for 40, you know, seven years, 47 years of my life consumed with comics and all the interview magazines and all the fan magazines and, 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 and the career that I've had and the people I've met and the people I've spoken to, the, 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 the real life uh, experience as a comic book creator that I can bring to this podcast and share with you interpersonal stories with some of the people that I talk about 
having watched the birth of someone like Frank Miller who went on to impact Batman as much as he, he did and give us the 300 franchise and give us the Sin City franchise and transform Daredevil and see Daredevil, that, that transformation bought, brought to life on three seasons of a Netflix show, okay? So, so, so these, char- these, these, these figures that I absolutely held in the highest regard became the tastemakers of today. And I share with you guys the facts and the figures because I want you to have the facts and the figures because I don't want to give you opinions. I want to give you facts and figures. So here's the deal. There was a guy, I, as I've said to you on Facebook, I love all my little little groups. I have briefly talked in one podcast. I've mentioned it on and off, but I, I in, in, a, in a podcast called How to Crash a Franchise, I talk about how this franchise of DC Comics long standing going back to the early 60s their futuristic group from the 30th century a superhero team called the legion of superheroes captured my imagination possibly my most favorite dc comic book it had a run where it became their number two franchise in the 80s so i've mentioned that but i've never brought sales to bear about that well in finding sales about that it has Batman as a barometer. It has those sales, and you're gonna see. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna look and see. Now, here's the deal, guys. Where do you get this information? Well, I'm gonna tell you right now. Through the 70s and 80s, mainly I remember it very much in the 80s, in a box that would be highlighted in yellow, most of the time in yellow. Once a year, once a year, in your comic book publication, if Batman was published 12 times a year, if X Men was published 12 times a year, Avengers, Justice League, the publisher would print in their periodicals a statement of ownership. It had all this mumbo-jumbo, but in the statement of ownership, because it was required for periodicals that were being sent through the mail, uh, it showed an average copies that were sold per year. So they gave you the average sale of this particular title over the last 12 months. And you get it once a year. You get it sometime in 92, normally at the end of the year, 82, 83, 81, whatever, 85, 86. It was in all the comics. You can go grab them. If you, if you have all of the 1982's X-Men, somewhere in there is a sales statement of ownership with average sales of that year. And it only appears once, but that's how you could know how the book was selling and find out. So taking all of these averages over many years, a very bright gentleman put together this uh, analysis and you can you you can absolutely know that when the Batman numbers were the highest, it corresponds with the Adam West Burt Ward Batman show. So let's just go to 1960. Let's go all the way back to 1960. Batman was selling 502,000 copies a month. At the same time, this is there are no comic stores. This is newsstand. This is all those newsstands in New York City, in Chicago, in Detroit, in Los Angeles. Okay in liquor stores, in dime stores, drug stores, 7-Elevens, markets. Superman was selling 810,000 copies. Superman outsold Batman by 300 plus thousand copies. That is a whopper of a number. At that point, there was another book called Adventure Comics, which sometimes featured Superman, but it's where the Legion were introduced. That book was doing 430,000 copies, okay? So we can see that through the 60s, you know, Batman, 
1960, he's at 502,000. In 1961, he's averaging 485,000. Again, where's his information gleaned? It is in the comic books themselves printed once a year, the statement of ownership. This is in the publications. 1962, he's selling 410,000 copies. Bat Superman is now selling 740,000 copies. Superman has lost 50,000 in sales. Excuse me, 70,000 in sales. It's gone from 810 to 740 over two years. Batman has only lost from 500 to 410. He's lost 90,000. Then 1966, the Adam West show hits. Batman skyrockets to 900,000 on average sales of Batman. 900,000 units. Superman is now at 719,000. Is that insane? The adventure comics that features the Legion is at that same time that Batman is selling 900,000. 1966, Legion at slash adventure comics is selling 480,000. The next year, 1967, 805,000. This is the fire of that Batman show, which was prime time, which was a huge hit. Okay? Th- that is the apex sales of Batman, average sales of 900,000, and the next year, 805,000. In 1968, it drops back down, but it's 100,000 higher than it was prior to the show. In 1965, it's at 450,000. Well, now the show's dying down, but 1968, 540,000 copies of Batman. So the swell of the show is over, but it's now resting at 100,000 higher. At that point in time, Adventure slash The Legion is at 400,000. Batman is outselling by 140,000 The Legion of Superheroes. For, for another random number to throw in, the Justice League, Justice League is 100,000 behind the uh, the, Le- the Adventure slash Legion. It's selling 315,000, while Legion is selling 412,000. So 1970, 1970, Batman's at 293,000. Superman's back up 446,000. He is now outpacing again over 150,000. Adventure Comics, 329,000. It's staying in that range. So here's the deal. 1975, newsstand sales are dying. There's a, an entire episode I did on the DC implosion. This is where the DC implosion starts, where the, the, the panic of the eroding numbers. Marvel was having troubles too. What saved Marvel was Star Wars. I've covered that multiple, multiple uh, podcasts, especially in year one, about how Star Wars turned Marvel's fortunes around, sold millions of copies, poured so much money into that, created the, the ability for them to take risks, and they did. 150,000 copies of Batman in 1975 to 200,000 of Adventure Comics slash Legion. Legion is getting its own story. It, Legion is its own thing now, and it's actually called Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. So it's an offshoot of the Superman brand. At that same time, Superman is selling 285,000. Again, it is it is 130 more than Batman. So Batman was not always the big dog. It certainly was during the TV show, outselling Superman by almost 200,000 units. 1978, the actual DC Comics implosion where they had to cancel uh, uh, over a third of the line. And they were planning on expanding it. The Explosion advertises DC The Explosion, and there's an entire podcast I did on DC Implosion. And all the facts and figures, the stories, the the, the interviews, the, the the decisions, the bean counters, how it affected the creatives, it's all in this, these different episodes. 
1978, Batman is doing 125,000. Adventure slash Legion is 140,000. There's only 20,000 separating them. You got to understand Superman, which is uh, in the swoon of the Superman movie, is up to 240,000. So it's 120,000 better than Batman and about 100,000 better than Adventure Superman. But against Legion, I'm sorry, Adventure Legion. Adventure Comics has now been transformed. It's called Superboy and the Legion. So, so it's doing it's doing better than Batman at this point. But let's just uh, things stabilize. 1980 Batman is selling 130,000. Superman's still getting movies. 1980 is the uh, the sequel. Superman 2 is coming out, so Superman's doing 250,000. There's a 120,000 dollar difference, uh, 120,000 unit difference in 1980 between. Superman at 250 and Batman at 129, let's call it 130. That's in 1980. Superboy Legion is doing 130. It's still outpacing Batman. 1982, 83, 84, 85. Batman goes under 100,000. 1983, 97,000 a month for Batman. 1984, 89,000 on average. 1985, 75,000. I told you, I grew up in this era. Batman had become an afterthought. His books were boring. Uh, They had told so many different varied Batman stories. He had been cartoons. He had been the Adam West uh, 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 TV show. And then Adam West was doing voices, was voicing his cartoon show on CBS with Batmite. I mean, so much... uh, you know, Adam West was was still traveling with the Batman brand. 1985, 75,000 copies, okay? Dark Knight hits in 1986. And there is no Dark Knight circulation number because it was only four issues. But in 1986, Batman was ticking back up at 89,000. But let me tell you what was going on in 1982. As Superman, as as Batman was winding into hit the ninety thousand sales, Legion of Superheroes was one sixty six thousand. So now Legion is doing seventy thousand plus more. Legion was a popular book, sci fi, thirtieth century superheroes, great soap opera, on par with the best of what the X Men was doing. It does one hundred and forty thousand dollars, the one hundred and forty thousand units. The Legion does the next year. It's not even called Superboy and the Legion at this point. As soon as it hit 1979, they just called it the Legion. They took the Superboy out. 140,000 the Legion was selling in 1984 while Batman was selling 89,000. Legion was selling 110,000 in 1985 while Batman was selling 74,000 copies. So there you go. You've got that. Where are the, these numbers put, picked from? The 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 sales, uh, the the... The data once a year in the comic, that 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 the statement of ownership that you absolutely were required to put in all periodicals that showed an, a sales average of that book once a year, and you can see the disparity. Batman in the '80s. There's a reason why Stephen King, Stephen King, Stephen freaking King, wrote what he wrote in the back of that Batman. I was beginning to wonder. We all did. Batman was losing titles from five to two titles. The sales in the 70s, 70,000. We had the direct market at that time. That was primarily, that was now the primary reason. You understand part of the explosion is they did lose the newsstand support because once these comic books were available in comic book stores, 
Um, I saw it in real life. 7-Eleven, the liquor stores, they scaled back. The drug stores, they disappeared. The grocery stores, they just disappeared entirely. They they didn't like that the um, that the profits were so small. You know, what are you making off of a quarter, off of 50 cents, off of 75 cents when you, when you can sell, you know, steaks and cereal and all that stuff for way more than they were selling comics at the time. They disappeared. They, they, they vanished by the, by the late eighties. Most of my newsstand uh, distribution um, options were done. I either had to get it from the comic store or there was no going. And during that time, Batman goes to 97,000 89,000, 74,000, 1986, 89,000. There's a four-year period he is no longer doing 100,000. And in 1982, he is at 100,000. And in the same time, the Legion of Superheroes is at 127,000, 166,000, 145,000, and 110,000. That isn't even, uh, I wish I had the Titans to put into perspective, but Legion was outselling also Justice League on an average of 40,000 uh, per unit. So again, when I talk about the Legion of Superheroes and, and this giant successful brand, these exciting 30th century superheroes, Timberwolf, Saturn, uh, Saturn Boy, Wildfire, Dawnstar, very exciting, legendary stories, the Great Darkness Saga, uh, stuff that was on par with the best of what was going on in the X-Men. But the, the real story was that Batman had slipped to the wayside. Frank Miller changed all that. Dark Knight had multiple printings. The trade came and the trade collection, the paperback, just blew out. Hardcover, specialty editions. It's been in print by DC Comics in perpetuity huh, since 1986. And it radically, it, it gave a new blueprint for how to depict Batman. He was less detective and now kind of the Dark Knight, the, the Avenger of the Night, grittier, darker, thicker, um, more imaginative. The, bat, the Batmobile became a tank. That's the first time you saw it. That's the first time you saw the giant, you know, more tankish, uh, Humvee-esque version of the Batmobile. But we've covered that in multiple podcasts. I, I carry water for Frank Miller and I always will. Because the stuff is legit great, and he he changed everything. So 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 we did the numbers on art with Spider Man and three point three million dollars. What? And then we pivoted to show you actual numbers. Why is why was Stephen King and Rob Liefeld both so concerned about Batman? There you go. You saw it today. The very diminished sales when Superman and Superman held on to so many of his titles because that Donner those Donner films were huge. Now obviously the Superman three, Richard Pryor. 83, 84, when did that come out? Not as much. But Superman really became the movie star of the DC Universe and carried so much. Definitely not where we're at today. Did you know that a few weeks back, DC released nine Batman titles in one week? It's because most of them were late, delayed, whatever, nine Batman titles in one week. That's the reality of where we sit now. Okay, and for years they didn't even publish a Legion comic book. I mean, my teenage self who hung on every issue of the Legion. By the way, I should say that during this period where the Legion was doing the 170,000 units a month, that there was four Legion books. They did an additional Legion dedicated book. Then they did spinoffs like Legionnaires 3, which focused on three Legionnaires to uh, Solo Spotlight, the characters got their own uh, series like Cosmic Boy, to a dedicated who's who 
in the Legion. I, I, I did the, the, the compendium, the Encyclopedia of Heroes. They dedicated, I think, six issues, six 32-page issues just to the Legion alone. They were they were dining out, spinning off Legion. It had so much uh, success because of the numbers it was doing as in contrast to what we now know as Batman's flagship title, which prior to Frank Miller absolutely juicing it with his imagination, his incredible take on the material. Batman was floundering 70,000 units. It, it, it averaged in eight, in, you know, 85. Wow. Wow. So I bring you guys this data so you can chew on it. And again, where can you source this? You can go find, go find 12 Batmans from 1983. The statement of authorship, the, 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 in the statement of ownership, the sales average is there. It's there. It's there on every buck, in every issue, whatever issue that's in, in that year. I mean, it wasn't just in one special issue that belonged to Robbie Liefeld. It's there for you to find. It's there for you to read. They did it for the Marvel books. They did it for the DC books. So that is where that data is gleaned from. It is absolutely from DC's own publications, as is the Superman numbers, as are the Legion numbers. So you know without a shadow of a doubt that these numbers, this data, and you are smarter because of it. I love data. I love knowledge. I love being armed with knowledge. And the idea that someone like Stephen King in Batman 400 was like, I was worried. And then what did he say? He said, Frank Miller and Dark Knight is possibly the greatest comic book story and comic book art that he had ever seen. Here, here. I agree. So, man, art art prices shaking the world, covered by the media. Um, we'll see how this continues to go, but the prices are definitely up. They are definitely trending way, way up. And then the second part of our podcast today, we went back into the comic book sales, the numbers, so that you could understand where I was coming from as a teenager when I'm like, wait, Batman had five titles. Five titles. Now he has four. Now he has three. He's down to two. He's down to two. Um, great sharing all this with you. I hope it, uh, it, it you appreciate it. I love discussing this stuff. It is so fun uh, being able to share all of this with you guys. So this is the part of the show where I read the generous reviews that you leave for us across all the different platforms. Uh, promoting your observations. We need these reviews, the five stars, the subscriptions, recommendations so very much. I appreciate it so very much. I am always blown away by how generous and kind you guys are today's uh, review that I'm going to read to you guys is from Lou Capetta. All right, Lou, big Lou says, thank you, Rob. Gave us five stars. Thank you, Lou. I just found all my old comics and it immediately got me back into com buying comic books. I discovered this podcast and listening to Rob's enthusiasm discussing all of the comics I lived as a teenager is a real treat. Starting with X-Force, Rob's books and all the image stuff for that matter meant the world to me. They helped me through a tough time as I moved away from my dad from New Jersey to Florida in the winter of 1991. The next, the next few years were strange and lonely. My only uh, uh, splice was spending hours upon hours in my room alone reading those comic books and trying to draw like my favorite L boy. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have these books to escape to. Thank you so much for sharing all these stories. Lou, right back at you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. I was there when my dad uh, was in a coma for nine months from blood clots uh, as a result of, of a, a really bad uh, brain surgery. 
comic books is what I clung to. I mean, just Avengers, X-Men, Marvel Comics at the time. 1978, every comic that I got during that time, I have a rich memory of, of they, they were my they were my escape, my comfort and my escape. So so thank you for this. Thank you so much. You guys, when you leave these reviews for our show and you promote Rob Observations, I read them at the end of every show. Thank you guys, as always, like Lou, for just sharing the word and uh, about our show and, and turning your friends onto it and being out there on social media promoting Rob Observations. Uh, the platform needs it. It helps us so much in in in, uh, in in getting visibility in a very crowded marketplace. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter. At Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, continuous. The blue check tells you that it's really me. I love talking with you guys. I talk with so many of you all the time. It's such a joy. It's such a pleasure to know that we can reach each other. Um, I, I, I love sharing ideas, concepts. Uh, it, it's really great to know that you guys are out there and that I can reach you and that you guys can reach me. I am on Instagram, at Rob Liefeld. Just Rob and Liefeld smashed together, just like Robert Liefeld. A one continuous. Uh, I've got a blue check there too, which tells you it's me. There's imposters out there, you guys. Those blue checks are important and then it tells you you're really talking to the person that you think you are. So I read your DMs, your messages, your comments. Thank you so much for all the love. Facebook, if you listen to the show, I'm quoting Facebook groups. Uh, I'm all over Facebook. You can you can throw a rock and hit me. I'm somewhere on Facebook. It'll, it'll hit my head, my arm, my waist. Uh, so, so, so look for me all across social media. You guys, thank you so much for this. This is a time where you pledge you're going to take care of yourself. Okay. And, uh, and I believe you cause you need to got some crazy times right now and, uh, curl up with a good comic, a good, a good book or a great podcast, but take care of yourself. And so you are going to stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon. 